Get ready for the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. That's right. Welcome in another edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com, where we are talking District 4 athletics week in, week out in the great state of Idaho. My name is Brandon Bainey, and I'll tell you, we're in our third season of doing this Magic Valley PrepCast. We're creeping closer and closer to our 100th episode, and we'll, we'll have to do something special for that. And along the way, it's mostly been Scott Burton and myself, but occasionally we do have guests on, and I would say probably the biggest guest that we've had on the PrepCast in our three-year run uh, was Cameron Anderson. Now, we talked to him when he was coaching at Gooding. He's now since moved to Burley, but uh, he has had the privilege to coach not one but two Division One football players from the Magic Valley in Idaho. But I think today, Coach Anderson gets trumped by our special guest star, Ted Lasso. Howdy. Hey, what's going on there, Brandon? Got to have a lot of a lot of confidence to do something like this. And if I didn't have any confidence, I never would have worn pajamas to my prom and ended up in jail the rest of that night. I tell you what. <laughs> so Scott is uh, celebrating Halloween a little early for those that are watching the video version of this on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel or Facebook page. You'll see that Scott is dressed up as everybody's favorite soccer coach, Ted Lasso. Uh, the background is complete with the motivational believe poster, uh, you've got the visor. You've got, uh, is it the whistle around your neck there? Oh, yeah. Whistle, and, whistle. And you even have a fake mustache, right? <laughs> I do, which is kind of the hard part here because it blends in with what I've already got going on, but uh, a little bit darker up top now. So I've got uh, I've got the whole Ted Lasso thing going on. And, and I tell you what, if you've never seen Ted Lasso, then shame on you because it's one of the best shows ever made. And, uh, uh, and it kind of fits in a little bit with our theme because we're talking down the stretch about, you know, our, our Scott's thoughts later on, but it's about coaching and stuff like that. And boy, Ted Lasso just had to make an appearance. Yeah. I give I give the, the, uh, the costume a solid a, it would have been an a plus if you had actually shaved your beard, but oh, I thought about it. I thought about it for the bit, but, uh, I tell you what, you get to be my age. I wonder if it's ever going to grow back again. <laughs> yeah that's true or or it might grow in a different color <laughs> yeah well and that's very true and that probably will i mean mold <laughs> enough now that it's you know i i let it go and i'm probably just going to look like santa on pills but it's uh it, it's gotten to that point where i just can't chance it anymore Yep. Well, that's the backdrop. I'll zoom back in uh, here on the video version. If you're listening to the audio only version at, at IdahoSports.com or wherever you uh, download podcasts, uh, I recommend that you just check out the video version this week just to see Scott's costume. It's it's pretty outstanding. Uh, other things that are outstanding, district volleyball tournaments. But before we even get to that, Scott... Uh, state soccer is happening. We're recording this on Thursday morning, October 19th. The state soccer tournaments are underway all throughout the Treasure Valley. Class 5A uh, boys and girls are at uh, Rocky Mountain and Eagle. Class 4A boys and girls are at Brothers Park in Caldwell. And then the 3A tournaments are at Valley View. And Valley View has two fields as well. So for, for our 4A and 3A Magic Valley fans, Scott, you're going to be able to monitor boys and girls kind of simultaneously. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, if you're a soccer fan, then, you know, this is a, this is perfect because you get to a lot of soccer coming your way um, as the brackets are set and we're, we're ready to get after it. 
I really blew that transition. I mean, you are dressed up like a soccer coach, and I could have pivoted right into state uh, soccer. You, you totally could have. You totally could have. Could have had a little Roy Kent reference, uh, anything. But I, 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 that's right. You get a pass once in a while. You know, it's like when you're driving on the interstate and there's like two exits to go to Hazleton. There's the first one and then you missed that. So you got to go like <laughs> 10 more miles to hit the second one and go the back way. That's kind of how I feel right now. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Half, half the day, every day. Oh, this is really pulling on me. <laughs> I, I laugh and I smile and it just like yeah, it rips. Oh, but man. We're sticking with it. That's going to be a problem because that's all we do is joke on this uh, on this podcast. So, uh, but state soccer. If you're wondering, uh, we recorded a standalone special. Uh, Christian Weiner and myself. Uh, mm-hmm. Christian writes our weekend preview every week, uh, spotlight, spotlighting the biggest games uh, across the state. So he and I dove into it. We went like an hour and forty five minutes total, uh, breaking down the brackets, key players, key coaches key matchups, uh, our upset specials and our championship predictions. Um, I predicted a couple of Magic Valley winners, by the way. Uh, if you want to know who, you'll just have to tune in and find out. It is in your podcast feed, the Magic Valley Prepcast. You can also watch. Uh, we split up the previews on the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel, 5A, 4A, and 3A. You can watch them with those there as well. And even though State has already started, go back and watch and then like document what I picked. And then when I get everything like really wrong, come back and throw it in my face. Oh, that's the fun part. Whenever we do those preview shows for like state basketball or whatever, is just to go back and see what kind of a fool you were. And it's like, man, how did you even pick that game? But uh, every once in a while you get one right, makes makes you look good. But that's always fun to go back and rewatch those, see how you did. Yeah, for sure. So state soccer is underway. Meanwhile, district volleyball, we're getting to the finish line, Scott. Uh, State volleyball is next week. And by the way, we will be recording a state volleyball preview special as well. Myself and Lindsay Togiai Afuk. She's kind of our in-house volleyball expert here at IdahoSports.com. We'll break down all the volleyball state tournament brackets. That'll be next week in the podcast feed and also on the idahosports.com YouTube channel. So be on the lookout for that. But before we get to state, there's still a couple more district spots to be decided here. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to share my screen. If you're watching the video version of this, uh, you'll be able to see the brackets up on the screen. If you're listening audio only, it's all good. Uh, All of the volleyball district brackets are on the homepage at idahosports.com. And that's every classification, every district. We've got them all there. So let's get into it, Scott. We'll start with the Great Basin Conference. This is Class 4A, District 4. The Twin Falls Bruins win the district title. They were the number one seed. And last night, Wednesday evening, they defeat number three, Canyon Ridge, in a crosstown showdown, 3 nothing. Congratulations to the Bruins going back to state. Yeah, boy, Twin just got hot at the right time. And I tell you what, when all of that stuff went down with Canyon Ridge and their volleyball program. That is when Twin just kind of got it together and a little jolt of confidence. I mean, they were good to begin with, but up until that point, everybody had been chasing Canyon Ridge. And um, when they had their issues, Twin just filled that void and got hot at the right time and then cruised uh, to the district title. Meanwhile, Canyon Ridge, you know, they're still pretty dang good. You know, we talked about in one of our podcasts how their their team kind of walked out or whatever. They they do have four of their six starters back, you know, so they're not completely depleted, but they're they're still a pretty good team and they still have a chance to get to state. The surprise of this is Burley knocking off Wood River. And Wood River had the home 
field advantage through this thing. And they, for some reason, kind of fell apart down the stretch. And, and, and here we go, a three and a four playing for that, that second spot. So, well, and that'll be tonight at six. Yep, that'll be a very interesting affair. And so you mentioned a couple of those players that had quit the team initially did come back. Uh, Maddie Bland, who has committed to, uh, I think it's Idaho State University, uh, the Bengals out of the Big Sky Conference. Um, she was the lone senior. So Canyon Ridge had their senior night. Maddie got recognized. None of the other seniors came back. And so they're still a good team. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Canyon Ridge get that second spot uh, to state for sure. Um, so yeah, you mentioned it, Scott, while twin falls was beating Canyon Ridge last night in the district championship, Wood river had a huge advantage, uh, because Burley and Minico, the four and the five had to play each other first in an elimination game. And then the winner of that got to challenge Wood river. So not only did Burley and Minico have to travel all the way up to Haley to play these matches, um, they also had to play each other before they had the right to play Wood river. And Burley gets it done. And we talked about this conference and how upside down it was all season long and how everybody had been beating up on each other. Remember, Burley beat Twin earlier this year. We talked about it. So really, this matchup between Burley and Canyon Ridge, coin flip. It really is. And it's a lot of these things are just about who's hot at the right time. You know, and you can make the argument that Wood River is one of the top two teams in this conference. But if you don't get hot at the right time or peak at the right time, it doesn't matter. You know, and I think Burley could be, you know, riding that little wave of momentum after beating rival Minico and and getting themselves to a position to where they're one win away from qualifying for the state tournament. And Canyon Ridge, you know, they were the favorites the entire way. And talk about a team that just battled adversity. Um, What a feather in their cap if if they can get there. So uh, that match has got a lot of of storylines to it. Yeah, it's going to be really intriguing. They play Thursday night at Canyon Ridge, 6 p.m. tip-off for the second and final spot to state from District 4. All right, Class 3A District 4 tournament. Scott, they had their district championship last night as well. Number one, Kimberly defeats uh, number three, Filer, 3-1. to And so Filer, the three seed, took out Gooding, the two seed, on the back half of the bracket Tuesday night, three to one in the third place match. And so Kimberly back to state to try and defend their title. They are the defending 3A state champions. Filer will now await. They have a chance to get to state also via a play-in match. They will play the third place team from District 3. And I believe that game is tonight. It's going to be Weezer and Parma. So they'll get the winner of that matchup. Either way, that is a tough draw for Filer, but good luck. Yeah, no kidding. Filer's got their hands full. And, you know, the the story here is just the defending champs in Kimberly. You know, as strong as they are. I mean, losing just two matches on the year, one of them to Snake River, uh, the other one to 5A Highland. Other than that, I mean, this is a team that has really cruised to a 12-2 and record overall, unblemished in the conference, defending state champs, and, and they are poised to do this whole thing again. And, you know, for Filer, um, you know, again, it's about coming in hot. And this is a team that has lost, you know, three of their last four coming down the stretch. Now, granted, uh, Kimberly has beaten them twice in that, in that stretch, but – you know, Filer's got an opportunity, so they're going to – it would be cool to get two Magic Valley teams there, but but I'm really watching this Kimberly team. 
Yeah, Kimberly split with Snake River in the regular season. They won three to two and then lost three nothing. Um, there's going to be a lot of good teams at that 3A state tournament. That's going to be a really fun one to watch everybody uh, duke it out for sure. Uh, 2A District 4, Scott the Canyon Conference. Uh, district Championship was on Tuesday night. Declo advancing to state. Congratulations to the Hornets. There really wasn't much drama in this one. They ended up playing Wendell, the three seed. Uh, but Wendell, when you look at it, they and the Sun Valley Community School basically tied for second place. So, you know, two seed, three seed, basically the same thing at this point. The match I was most impressed with, Scott, because I had to go back and watch the film on it because uh, I was trying to find out what the score was and who actually won. So I went back and watched the film of it. This first matchup here uh, on Monday night between Wendell and Sun Valley Community School, the cutthroats jumped out to a 2 nothing lead. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Wendell then took it to him the next three sets to earn the come from behind five set victory. Um, and that really laid laid the foundation for Wendell to get back to the district championship game as well. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Wendell. I was really impressed with the way they battled back in that first matchup here at districts. Yeah, really. I mean, what a great comeback to just put themselves in that position. And, uh, you know, this this particular conference tournament really was all deck close to lose. You know, they're the only one in that conference that had a, a winning record. They dominated conference play unblemished. Um, so really, the storyline was going to be about Wendell and Sun Valley, who was going to challenge Declo. And uh, boy, what a nice, nice boost for the program at Wendell. Even though they didn't make it, it's just it's one of those things. You know, I mean, sometimes you can win a game and not get there, but it does so much for your program and your confidence. And I, and I think that's a, that's a good shot in the arm for Wendell. Definitely. And and you look at Declo and their overall record, uh, 10 and six, but they, they challenged themselves. They played a lot of those three, a schools like Kimberly and Gooding mm-hmm. and Filer. And, uh, they played Malad early in the season. Malad kind of one of the favorites coming in at the two, a tournament. So they're battle tested and it'll be interesting to see what kind of seed they get, uh, going into state, which we should note this year, uh, state volleyball tournament, Scott will be using district tournament results, um, on the max preps ranking side of things. So, so, we know that state is now seated using max preps rankings, um, but in years past, it had been cut off to just the regular season results. What Whatever you did at districts didn't really matter. Well, that's different now. The, the state has said, yes, we are going to use district tournament results when we factor in the max preps rankings. The problem is, Scott, and this is a problem we're running into at IdahoSports.com, is there is a lot missing. There are a ton of scores, even from like last weekend, that are still not in max preps. Now, it's one thing for us to try and go find the scores. That's why I had to go watch film to figure out who won between Sun Valley and Wendell. But this is the um, max preps is the official mechanism to determine seeding at state. And when you have incomplete data, I mean, it's just it's not going to work. And I don't I don't know what the answer is. The coaches get told, hey, report the results. The ADs get told to report the results. But uh, doesn't somebody up top have to say, hey, enough is enough. Get these results in. Well, you know, we're getting reminders from the state all the time. It's just coaches, put in your results, put in your results. And uh, if we're going to use this system and then everybody's got to be part of it. And what we're seeing sometimes is even before we were using district tournaments, is that late scores would come in on, and it would just have this ripple domino effect down the way. And a couple of years ago, um, I, I think Minico got bumped in football 
because of a score that came in and it, and it was kind of an out of state thing, but it had this, you know, ripple effect down the way, which changed the max preps rankings at the very last second, you know? And so these things are, I mean, if we're going to use it, we need to be on top of it. And, and right now in certain sports, we're not very on top of it all because one little, one little glitch throws off the entire system. And, and you start talking about, you know, other things and not to get into it, but, you know, uh, forfeits or, um, teams not playing, you know, we talked about that earlier. I mean, how do those go in? Because there's a point spread difference that has to be accounted for. And so there's, there's a lot of tweaks that still need to happen here to get this system right. But for starters, we can do our part by getting our stinking scores in. Yeah, seriously. It it makes, uh, it makes our jobs very difficult. I mean, as soon as we're done recording this podcast, Scott, I'm probably going to spend two hours just trying to track down scores. And I, I hate doing that because I could be doing other things, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It is a ripple effect because one team en- enters a result and it changes the entire landscape for, for honestly, for one a D two all the way to five a, because everyone mm-hmm. plays up or down a level. So it, it's like a butterfly effect. It really is. It is. It's like the six degrees of, of separation <laughs> between the top five, a team and the lowest one, a D two team. I mean, at some point, they are going to cross paths. So uh, that's how important it is to get those things in. Definitely. So uh, continuing on uh, rant over, <laughs> we'll go back to, uh, we'll go back to uh, the, the brackets here. So congratulations to Declo. They do move on to state one, uh, a D one Scott, the old uh, snake river conference district championship is tonight, Thursday night, seven 30 at the college of Southern Idaho. Number one, Murtaugh. Number three, Lighthouse Christian. Murtaugh sweeps number four, Shoshone, in the semis, 3-0. Uh, number three, Lighthouse beats number two, Oakley, 3-1 to one in the other semi. So you've got a couple of loser-out matches before the district championship tonight. Number two, Oakley against number five, Carey. And then number six, Valley against number four, Shoshone. The winners of those two matches will play Saturday at Jerome High School. Uh, and then the winner of that will play the loser of Murtaugh Lighthouse Christian to try and figure out who that second place team is, uh, because this is a district that gets two bids to state. So you're going to be a busy guy on Saturday at Jerome. Uh, I am. I'm going to be on the mic, running some music, doing introductions, doing the all the all the stuff for them on Saturday. So that that'll be a lot of fun. I love this conference. This conference here is probably, I don't know, arguably my favorite conference just because of the the competition that's there and the fact that we get to host them in volleyball and girls, basketball, boys, basketball. So I've gotten to know these teams and these coaches uh, quite well. And I just, I love this conference. And now you want to talk volleyball, man, what a season that Murtaugh has had, you know, this is a team that was unblemished in the conference play, two losses on the season and right behind him is lighthouse. And those two teams have been the dominant teams in this conference um, all season long. And guess what? Here they are playing for the district title. Yeah. Uh, Lighthouse and Oakley ended up tied for second in the standings. They both went seven and two in the league, but Lighthouse was 10 and four. Oakley was eight and eight. 
And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it. Murtaugh is so good with the the Stanger girls and uh, Courtney Jensen and Katie Alcala. And they just have so many. And all these girls play basketball, too, which, uh, spoiler alert, Murtaugh is going to be pretty good in girls' hoops <laughs> when we get to that. This, this conference overall in girls' basketball is going to be very strong, just like it is in volleyball. So, yeah, good luck to Murtaugh and Lighthouse and Carrie and Oakley and Shoshone and Valley. They're all still alive in this uh, tournament. We'll have more to report on later from this district tournament. Uh, and Scott, you do. You love hosting these district tournaments for, for basketball and, and volleyball. I, I forgot I was going to ask you a question and it slipped my mind. Jerome actually hosted a couple of state play in matches for soccer last weekend, right? Was it one or two? We just did one. We did one. Uh, Fruitland and Kimberly. And, okay. uh, and it was fantastic fruitland fruitland won um but it was a an opportunity for us to show off our 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 really cool soccer facility um i think we've got one of the better soccer facilities in gosh well definitely in the magic valley and and it's it was a great great day the weather was awesome and uh you know both those teams showed up and were really grateful so we love to to host those things and and that Fruitland team's a pretty dang good soccer team. Yeah, they're they're really good. Uh, they won the state title two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really quickly, take us through the process because with the district tournament, you're working with the uh, district tournament director and and the athletic directors from the conference. I assume for for state play in matches, you're working with the IDHSA, the IHSAA, the the Idaho High School Activities Association. Did you have to put in a bid to host it? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, they just kind of asked if, Hey, Scott, do you want to host this? And I think what they do is, I mean, they know where the facilities are and they know, you know, the ADs that, that they can trust to do it or have done it before. But I think the facilities are a big part of it too. And, and when they asked, okay, absolutely. But then, then everything changes because, you know, normally when it's your game, you get your money box and you get your ticket workers and, but it's all different now because, it's a state thing. Prices change and you've got to sign in and you got to do all this kind of stuff. And it's a little bit more regulated. And so I had to, you know, obviously train our, our workers, how to, how to handle it. You know, they, they stick the soccer balls in the mail that they're officially using. And, and it's, it's just a different, more regulated process and more hoops you got to jump through, but you know, it's still a pretty good chance to show off your school. Yeah. What a privilege to be able to host a a state event that at Jerome. That's cool. That's really exciting. And hopefully we see more of that uh, down the line in the future. All right, back to the brackets. I keep, I keep getting sidetracked here, Scott. I apologize. <laughs> one more one more bracket to discuss. 1AD2, the Sawtooth Conference District Championship will be on Saturday. Uh, number one, Dietrich has already advanced to the District Championship. This is a one-bid league, do or die. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thursday night at Gooding High School, number two, Richfield will play number three, Hagerman. Uh, winner will advance to play Dietrich for the district title. Whoever it is, Richfield or Hagerman, they would have to beat the Devils twice to get to state. Yeah, this is a another fun conference, and and you talk about two teams that have really just been dominant and equal. That's Dietrich and Richfield, and unfortunately, just one of them are going to be able to go. Um, so, I mean, I would. Wager a guess it's going to be Dietrich and Richfield in that in that championship game. Um, and both those teams are so good. 
it's just unfortunate one of them is going to be not at the state tournament. It is a huge bummer for sure. And we talked about this last year. The tale of the tape, uh, Dietrich won the first matchup 3-2 to two in the regular season. Richfield won the rematch 3-2. to two. Uh, Dietrich then sweeps him 3 nothing in the undefeated semifinal at Districts. And yet, you know, Hagerman in the regular season went 2-4 and four in the league, 6-7 and seven overall. They lost to Dietrich and Richfield twice. Um, they pu- they pushed Richfield in this first round matchup, Scott, last Saturday, three to two. So Hagerman could really, you know, throw something in the punch bowl. Oh, they could. I mean, if you are Richfield and you're looking ahead, don't don't sleep on Hagerman because they they do have enough to to get you. Uh, and I think that's the one thing that Richfield has to be careful of. Don't look ahead to Dietrich. Take care of Hagerman. They do that. They're going to be fine. Yeah, well, good luck to Dietrich, Richfield, and Hagerman, all alive still, all competing for that one lonely bid to state. Uh, that'll be some fun. So that's where we're at with volleyball action. And, of course, by the time you're listening to this, uh, results may have changed. Results may have happened. So always check idahosports.com for the most up-to-date info. All right, Scott, let's move to football. And really... <laughs> Wood River's been in some exciting games this year. Um, every game they, they're in just seems to be close and exciting. Um, Wood River played Gooding last Friday, and this was essentially a game for third place. You know, we've got Kimberly. They beat Buell on IdahoSports.com. Kimberly's going to be first. Buell's going to be second in the 3A SCIC. Um, but this was a battle for third, and this is important because there are three auto bids available to state from this district and otherwise you have to try and sweat it out via an at-large bid now i think gooding probably still gets in at this point based on their max preps rankings but it's nice to have the security of the auto bid and so this came down to basically the fourth quarter scott wood river uh ends up pulling out the 20 to 13 victory um but it wasn't decided until very late yeah this was a really good football game and talking to coach carden throughout the week uh you know, he just had nothing but great things to say. So excited for his boys. Um, you know, he, he mentioned a couple of kids that came up big. Gavin Hunter came up with a huge interception and then a huge catch to get them into scoring position late in that game. And, uh, you know, he's just so excited for his teams. It's uh, the most wins this program has had in one season since he's been there and then probably a few years prior. But if you remember, this was one of the football teams that was absolutely decimated by COVID. And we we still talk about that because it's still relevant because that team in Wood River during that COVID year, because of Blaine County's restrictions, and they were probably the most restrictive county in the state of Idaho, they they played two games. And this is a, a school that is so different than everybody else. I mean, this is a skiing school. It's a hockey school. It's, it's mountain biking. It's a, it's a completely different animal. And so when your football team, which really isn't a mainstream sport up there, gets absolutely wiped out, it's tough to rebuild that because you just don't have dudes knocking on the door waiting to get back at football. Um, and so Coach Carden has really had to, to work hard to get this back. And and, uh, you know, hats off to him. They, they, they're getting some kids out, you know, and they've got a lot of young kids out. And so to make the playoffs, to do what they do, especially coming out of that COVID disaster, uh, man, great job, Wood River football. 
Yeah, so this game was crazy. Uh, we get down to the, the fourth quarter. Um, uh, Conrad Foster hits two field goals in this game, Scott. One, I think, for, I, I was watching it on the film. One looked like from 34, and then with 8.15 to play in the fourth quarter, Wood River's up 10-7. He comes out and drills a 48-yard field goal. I mean, mm-hmm. that is that is big league kicking right there. Yeah, this kid, this Foster kid, I mean, he's a heck of a soccer player. You know, and normally when you hear about these high school kickers coming in, they're pulling them right off the soccer team and for obvious reasons. Um, and he's just one of those kids. And, you know, uh, Coach Carton is like, this kid drills him all the time in practice and pregame. Um, they gave him a chance and boy, he nailed it. And, uh, and that's pretty exciting. I mean, we, we, we see that on TV all the time, you know, and we don't think anything of it. But we see a high school kid come out and do that especially in this area it's it, it really is one of those head turners just like wow look at that kid go you know and so he was pretty excited conrad was excited um, but he definitely is a weapon for them yeah it's it's really exciting to 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 watch this because i was watching the film of the game and the whole sideline just erupted after he made that kick it was really cool so yeah conrad foster makes that 48 yard field goal it's 13 to 7 wood river with 8 15 to play in the fourth now, Gooding responds. They march down the field. Braden Martin throws a touchdown pass to Butch Morris. Um, the extra point, though, this is Gooding's chance to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Extra point is short. So the game is tied at 13-13. Wood River gets the ball back. They go three and out pretty quickly. They've got to punt the ball to Gooding, and Gooding's got the ball right around midfield. And you're thinking, okay, we're tied at 13 there's about four minutes to play. Senators are on the move. They've got the control. They go for a deep ball down the sideline. And you mentioned it. Hunter comes mm-hmm. away with the interception, giving Wood River the ball back with just 240 to play. And from there, Wood River goes on a long drive. They take a lot of time off the clock. And it's uh, it's a touchdown run from 10 yards out with 35 seconds to play, I believe, by Kyle Ipsen, uh to give Wood River the 20 to 13 lead and ultimately the win. Yeah. Um, Caleb Hotham, I believe is who had the, the touchdown. The touchdown. Yeah. Okay. And, and he was a kid that this really had been hurt most of the year for Wood River. I mean, he's had a banged up knee, so they've had to limit him to just the defensive side of the ball and play him at linebacker most of the year uh, just because the wear and tear on his knee. But uh, that night he ran a lot for them and he ran hard and especially on that last drive, you know, he was the bell cow and got his first touchdown run of the year to close that game out. You know, so, um, you know, Caleb with another, I mean, with a good performance for Wood River too. But, but you're right. I mean, that win right there for Wood River was huge because, like you said, it's going to secure them a place instead of have to rely on max preps. And we're still eh, on that deal. But, you know, for, for Wood River, it, it, it's such a, a great boost to their program just to, another year at the playoffs for them. They were there last year. And so this is becoming familiar territory and it, and it helps put programs and teams on, on a map. And, and what it does is it helps get kids out too, you know, and, and in a place like Wood River where you're just struggling for kids, I mean, doing these kinds of things, that's going to get more of those kids interested in football. So good for them. Yeah. Uh, so Wood River gets the win. Um and now they're back to the playoffs second year in a row, as you mentioned. They had uh, moved down to 3A, right? That was the whole point was right. to petition down a level to try and get this program back up on its feet. Uh, I would say mission accomplished. 
um, certainly. And now they've got a little bit of momentum, and uh, it'll be interesting to see when they do move back up to uh, the 4A ranks to see, you know, okay, what lessons did we learn? How can we apply it? Yeah, you know, and and if they can continue to grow their program, then you know they'll they'll slide back in because they, you know when they were four A before, I mean they really were kind of at the bottom of the standings, but they did have a couple of years where they did challenge, and I think uh, Kevin Stilling was their football coach back then um, when they were were challenging. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Yep, uh, I should note that uh, Wood River did ask to play down in 3A football again for the 2024 through 26 uh, cycle, and they were granted permission to do that. So Wood River will be a 3A football team for two more years, and then I would assume they'll jump back up to 4A. But and I guess it should be with everything changing, they'd be moving to 5A, right? <laughs> Get used to oh, all yeah, of that, yeah. all those confusing changes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people are talking five A, four A, and nobody knows what you're talking about anymore. And that's going to take that's going to take some adjustment. Yes, it's like the artist formerly known as, or the the, the classification <laughs> formerly known as. That's right. Uh, well, in the classification that is still currently known as four A, Scott, we've got a big matchup on Friday night. It's going to be on IdahoSports.com Magic Valley game night. It is Twin Falls at Minico for the Great Basin Conference Championship. Now, both teams are in the playoffs. Both teams will get top eight seeds. Um, it's all based on Max Prep's ranking. You don't get a, a, a higher spot because you're a district champion per se, but this is for bragging rights. It's for a regular season conference title. Minico 6-2, and two, Twin 7-1. and one. They're both 4-0 and oh in district play. This is a heavyweight battle. Oh boy, you, this is the one that everybody circled on their calendar before the season even started, uh, because this conference has gone exactly how everybody thought it was going to go. Um, it was going to come down to Twin and Minico at the end. The the end. That's that's it. You know, and Minico coming in with their six and two record, but probably playing the best football out of anybody right now. Their two losses came early in the season. Two of their first three games were losses, but they were to Utah schools, you know, Desert Hills and uh, Mountain Crest. And since then, they have just been piling on the points and blowing people out. This is a really good team. You know, they've, they've since those losses, they've won 69 nothing, 56-10, 64-25, 51-13, 81-20. This is a team that can score in bunches. And, uh, you know, Twin has just kind of been one of those teams that has been the pillar of consistency. You know, their lone loss was to Pocatello 20 to 7, and that came in early September. Uh, they're not as flashy, um, but they've got some dudes. And it, it starts with Salah's ball. I mean, he's the kid that's all over the place. But this is a Twin team that just is, is solid. You know, from top to bottom, great kids defensively, great kids offensively, a ton of skill kids. Um, but I mean, they're not blowing people out like like Minico is. So I'm really interested to see what happens. And I and I would have to give the slight advantage to Minico just because of how hot they're playing right now, and the game is at Minico. Yeah, so every week on IdahoSports.com social media, uh, we do oh, what's yeah. called the the Idaho Sports Pick Six. All of the prep casters uh, pick six games from across the state, uh, one for each classification. Our 4A game this week was Twin and Minico. Scott, I was the only person who picked Twin. <laughs> 
I, I tell you what, if you do and they, they pull that off, then uh, you are the guy we're coming to for our uh, jackpot trips, you know, who we're going to bet on. <laughs> right now the line favors Minico. That's right. Uh, I'm only a game behind you in the standings right now in the pick, Scott. So that's where I'm going to make up the ground right there is with that Twin Falls game. Uh, last year, 23 to 7, Minico got the win. And we should mention, you know, Twin Falls was dealt a pretty big setback early on in the season. Uh, one of their best defensive players, Grant Patterson, uh, great safety, um, and really kind of the anchor of the back end of the defense was lost for the season with an injury. Um, and so they've had to adjust some things on defense, but I think Twin. They're well coached. They're very solid. And like you said, they're not flashy. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to score 81 points like Minico did last mm-hmm. week. Um, but they're just are so solid. And I, when I watch them on film, I go, this is a good football team. Um, and we should mention too, Minico, like you said, piling on the points, but they're doing it the right way. And we're going to talk about that on, on Scott's thoughts coming up here in just a second. But Minico is putting the second stringers in and they just, that offense is such a well-oiled machine that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the backups are coming in and scoring lots of touchdowns too. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's something that uh, we'll, we'll hit on briefly um, is that, yeah, you, you, Minico's getting an opportunity to play some of those younger kids. And when they get in, those kids still have to play, you know, they're not going to just dive every play and not run an offense and get that game experience. So, you know, what they're doing is they're getting a lot of those younger kids, so second stringers, some valuable game experience uh, in real situations because they're not in these nail biters um, where they don't get a chance to get in. So that's, I mean, that's really benefiting their program. Yeah. So it's Minico hosting Twin Falls Friday night, Magic Valley game night on IdahoSports.com, seven o'clock kickoff. You can check it out for free. If you're, if you're a, if you're a fan uh, in North Idaho or you're at Skyline and you want to know what these two teams are all about, uh, tune in and you'll be able to see Minico and Twin Falls duke it out. It should be a good time. So, uh, all right, Scott, let's get to Scott's thoughts for this week. Uh, we're, we're diving into the, the topic of sportsmanship and specifically running up the score. I brought this up because I saw a, a team in North Carolina win like 94 to, you know, 16 or something in the, in the quarterback threw 10 touchdown passes in the win and set a new state record. And, um, they could have put backups in at some point in that game and didn't and allowed the starters to stay out there and just humiliate their opponent and score 94 points. And it just, unfortunately that happens more than we think across the country. And it's, it it leaves a bad taste in my mouth personally, but I wanted to get your thoughts as well on running up the score. Let's start there. (laughs) Um, This one was, this one was interesting to do just because we do see it from time to time. And every time we do, it makes national headlines, it seems. So let's just start here. There are 10 seconds on the clock in the fourth and final quarter of this high school girls basketball game. Sacred Heart Academy has the ball at midcourt. Four quarters of an effective full court press, fast breaking and launching threes is about to come down to the final possession. On the inbound, Sacred Heart quickly gets the ball up the floor. Their point guard works off a double-staggered screen and gets open for a deep three at the buzzer. She pulls the trigger, and as time expires, drains a three-pointer to end the game. Final score, Sacred Heart 92, West Haven 4. Well, shortly after this game, 
Sacred Heart Academy's head coach was suspended for what can only be described as a classless display of running up the score on an opponent and thus help fuel the debate that wages on today. How do we feel about those coaches and teams who run up the score and what constitutes running up the score? And does the score have to be completely lopsided in order to fall in this category? Well, this particular discussion has a very slippery slope and somewhat of a gray line. It's governed by subjectivity and not objectivity and therefore may not have any clear parameters. But here's what we do know. There will always be blowouts. There will always be teams who dominate their opponents so badly that the score gets lopsided. Those games are going to happen and they're going to happen a lot. And those games most of the time don't push any ethical boundaries. But we aren't talking about those obvious mismatches. What we are talking about is more how a team does it. You see, the final score doesn't always paint an accurate picture. There's always a game within the game. For example, let's take two scenarios. Let's say a football team wins 67 to 7. For two or maybe even three quarters, they play their starters who then gave away to the reserves. For the first two and a half quarters, the playbook was wide open and every conceivable play was an option. However, in the second half, the dominant team shut it down a little bit, ran the ball, working on some other things to get better. Final score, 67 to 7. Are they guilty of sportsmanship malpractice? Scenario two. A team is up a couple of scores with a minute to go. And instead of taking a knee to run out the clock, they jump into a hurry-up offense with their starters to try and get one more score to increase that margin of victory. Final score, 30-8. to eight. Now, did this team push the ethical envelope? That's the interesting thing about this argument. The final score doesn't always tell the story. However, we know an ethics breach when we see it, and it comes in many different forms. Although it isn't an every week occurrence and the vast majority of our coaches are incredible leaders and people, it does happen from time to time. And for me, the guy that loves to dive into the psychology of things, the interesting question becomes the why. Why do some coaches feel it necessary to humiliate an opponent and embarrass another team? Well, let me ask you something. Do records and stats trump sportsmanship? Does embarrassing another team give you more street cred? Is this a byproduct of max preps? You know, we talk a lot about losing with grace, but what about winning with character? You know, it's said that the actions of players and coaches reflect the character of their hometown and the people who live in it. So it's always a good idea for coaches to remember what's on the front of their jersey and not what's written on the back. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that this is only a game and that we need to be developers of young men and women more than the coach of a sport. I think the why is wrapped up in a culture that has lost the meaning of the word respect. We see a lack of respect in the hallways of our schools. We see it around town. We see it sometimes in our leaders. You see, coaches may not be the reason that kids come out for sports, but they sure as heck are the main reason they stay out for sports. The power coaches yield is immense, and their value system is the blueprint used by our athletes as they mature. Our job as coaches 
is to teach young athletes to be good human beings first. The other stuff, the, the college scholarships, playing after high school, the winning, that comes a lot easier when you're a good person doing the right things. Look, I've coached a long time and I'm all about the warrior mentality and taking down opponents swift and effectively leaving no doubt as to who the winner is. But I'm also about honoring the game and the values that it holds and the lessons that it teaches and the respect that it deserves. As our society continues to lose its moral compass, it becomes our responsibility as coaches to make sure sportsmanship doesn't give way to individual attention. Well, the next thing you know, you've got a football player who thinks he's one in a million and you have to stop and remind him that he's just one in 11. Some of our coaches can use that same lesson. And when you talk about piling up the points to humiliate an opponent or get a late unneeded three-pointer or touchdown, ask yourself this, what's driving the bus? When it comes to the score and the end of games, there's a difference between being commanding and just being loud. Look, I get the counter arguments as well. The last thing we want to do is, is tell our kids to quit playing. That just leads to injuries and underdeveloped players who never get game experience. But like I said last week, it's, it's all in the packaging. And the how you do things becomes important. Constantly pressing, fast-breaking, shooting threes is probably the wrong recipe if you're looking to invest in your reputation. Passing the ball late with a bazillion point lead just to get more points probably isn't going to win you any friends in the brotherhood of coaching. Remember, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. And that lack of humility, which goes hand in hand with respect, is, is what's missing when these things happen. Couple that with your reputation and ask yourself, what do you want to be known for? My dad once told me, pride and ego lack the ability to be humble. Pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. And I've never forgotten that. And I've tried to let that guide me through my coaching career. And I've made my share of mistakes, but I do know that the true mark of a great coach is helping mold a good person and not breaking the bulbs on a scoreboard. It's funny how winning tends to happen after that because winning is just a byproduct of doing things the right way. Take the win, be humble, be confident. But remember, confidence without compassion and humility, you know, it's just arrogance. I'll leave you with the words of one of the greatest coaches ever, Ted Lasso, who said, I believe you can outscore your opponent and still lose, just like you can score less than them and still win. And those are Scott's thoughts. Nicely done yet again, Scott. And this is a, a, a sensitive issue um, because sometimes even what one coach interprets is running up the score. The other coach may not even realize that, oh man, this came across that way. And and I think most of the time you can come to a mature decision and go, oh, hey, yeah, you're right. Next time I won't do that. But there are the certain couple out there that that do it knowingly. And that just aggravates me to no end. Uh, it, it does. And, and, and the sad thing about it is if they would just communicate 
or have a better reputation or whatever the case is, then, you know, I don't think people would jump to that conclusion because, you know, I've seen it in a few games, um, not Jerome games per se. I'm just saying I've seen it to where you, you look at the game and you watch the game and you're like, well, why is that coach doing that? That, that, that doesn't seem ethical. But sometimes after the game, those two coaches can come together and say, hey, I am really sorry. I need to explain myself on that. We had this situation where we had to get this kid the ball and we weren't trying to do anything. And sometimes those conversations quell the entire uh, argument as far as were they pushing an ethical envelope. Um, but most of the time, those coaches that that do kind of push the sportsmanship boundary don't have those conversations. And and I think communication could really help solve a lot of this. Yeah. And the, and the one that I really, really grinds my gears is uh, when coaches leave their starters in for too long. Um, you've built up this lead and yet you've still got the starters out there and they're still doing their thing. And sometimes you just don't have backups. Like if you're a smaller school, you're like, Hey, we, we have two kids on the sideline. What do you want us to do? I get that. But when you have a full unit that you could bring in and you don't, and then I always just think in the back of my head, like, man, I hope nobody gets hurt because you were up, you know, 30 points in the right. fourth quarter and you had your starters in. Well, you know, and the other part of that too, is that you, we, I talked a little bit about the how, right? Yeah. So it's third down and, and eight and you're, you're up 40 points or whatever the case is. I don't care if you're, let's say your backups are in there, right? It's not a running down. And normally in other normal circumstances, you would pass the football on third and eight. Well, there's a difference between trying to hit the home run and trying to get the first down. And that is part of the how, because when you see that and you're like, why are they, why are they doing that? Well, again, you don't want to, you know, take the reins and pull them so hard that your kids don't play. You want them to learn how to throw the ball, pick up the first down, but it's that how part. Hey, let's run a, you know, a 15 yard out, a 10 yard dig route, something. Let's not go for a 90 route down the sideline with our burner against a team we have just beat the snot out of, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I guess in my, I've got, I've got kind of a set of rules. They're not official or anything, but like kind of how I judge things is like, okay, if the starters are in, you better be powering down and just running the ball and using the clock. Mm -hmm. If the backups are in and you want to throw some passes to get those younger kids, some that's fair game to me, I guess right. is where I fall on it, but it is. It's it it is all subjective, and there's a lot of gray area, which makes it a difficult subject to to dive into. But as always, Coach Lasso, you you did a darn fine job. I will thank you. I just uh, uh, got to say sometimes that uh, trying to I got my lasso phrases. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what like, this this whole little bit today? I mean. Feel like I've had more psychotic episodes in Twin Peaks. <laughs> you're like you're like one of those dolls that's got the pull string on the back, and you pull it, and a phrase comes spouting oh, out. <laughs> geez. I know, right? And taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse, isn't it? If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Those, I don't those know. are some, those are some good lassoisms. Uh, oh my for sure. Never been a show that's had more quotable lines than this. Um, yeah. Oh, just amazing.
Yeah, for sure. All right, Coach Lasso, we'll let you get back to it. And uh, good luck to everybody at state soccer, district volleyball, district cross country is for some some areas this weekend. Um, and also, of course, the final week of the regular season of football. We'll be back next week, Scott, with actual football brackets to break down and talk about. Um, next week is probably going to be mostly cross country football, I feel like, with state coming mm-hmm. up and, and then the football brackets. So here we go. Buckle up. What's uh, next week's topic? What are we doing? Oh, yeah. Next week's Scott's thoughts. Yeah, of course. Or or, or next week's TED Talk, if you will. <laughs> and, and fun fact, Brandon, my my legal first name isn't Scott. Scott's my middle name. And that's what I go by. My legal first name is Ted. Is it really? Yeah. Swear to God, it is. Wow. I know, okay. right? This makes this whole thing even more creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, I, I did not know that. So that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Okay. So the, the, um, the topic I wanted you to address for next week, again, it it usually relates to something I've noticed or something that's happening in my personal life. Really, this is for me, Scott, you're just coaching me every week. (laughs) Uh, but, but the topic I wanted to talk about was overextending yourself because this is the time of year. We, we had the bag of bones last week, right? Where you talk about as an AD, you've got all these things to do uh, on my day job. You know, I have to write articles. I have to go track down scores. I broadcast. I, how do you, how do you juggle? How do you prioritize it? How do you not overextend yourself? How do you make sure that you don't have too much on your plate? Wow. Knee jerk reaction to this is learn how to say no. You know, learn how to set limits, learn how to delegate. Um, I think we all want to take on so much and do so many things in, in, a, in a very stimulated world where we're having things come at us all the time. So many options, so many choices. And sometimes we want to do it all and we can't. And it makes us really flaky sometimes because we never commit to anything because we're always jumping around, you know. And so that's my knee jerk reaction. But I'll I'll develop that a little bit more for next week. Yeah, this is a really good one um, because we all do it, uh, whether it's balancing work and life and home or family or uh, there's a lot of spinning plates. Sometimes you want to make sure none of them fall to the ground and break. So, yeah, overextending yourself will be the topic of next week's Scott's thoughts. So, okay. Um, Looking forward to it. As always, Scott, thank you for hopping on the Magic Valley PrepCast. We enjoy the insight. Absolutely. Just just believe. Just believe. That's right. All right. Well, for uh, Coach Lasso, I'm Brandon Bainey. Enjoy the competition this weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next time on IdahoSports.com.